Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, pastor at Hope, and we are so glad that you are listening in. We would love to connect with you in person at our Sunday gathering. In the meantime, we hope this message points you to Jesus, the reason we gather. Almost a year ago, the leaders of Hope asked an ambitious question. Uh, We asked this question. Instead of exploring a single book of the Bible, one verse at a time, what if we explored the entire Bible, one book at a time? And we noticed how within our tradition especially, we often approach the Bible as an archaeologist. We sort of stake out a square foot and we dig as deep as we possibly can. And that is fine and good at times. But we decided to approach the scriptures in this season of our life as a church as an actor or an actress would. When an actor or an actress sort of is invited to take part in a drama, what do they do? Well, they sit down and they read not just their part, but they read the entire drama. They read the entire story from beginning to end over and over and over again. This does two things for them. Number one, it gives them context. So they can kind of understand how their role fits into the bigger picture. Who's the hero of this story? What went wrong in this story? And where do I fit? And because of this, it also gives them confidence. It gives them a new boldness. Because when you know the story that you are living within in your bones, when it is a part of who you are, you take on your role with greater and greater confidence. Well, we believe at Hope that you all have been invited into God's story. And if that's true, it's not just good, but it's absolutely essential for us to get to know the story that we are a part. Where we've been, what went wrong, where we're going, and yes, who is the heroes of this story? Jesus. Well, about a year ago, if you can believe it, we began our journey in the book of Genesis. Next week, we finish our journey with the book of Jude. Which means this morning, if you're keeping track, we're exploring the letters of Peter. But first, let's pray. Lord, would the words of my mouth and would the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock, our redeemer, Because you are our Redeemer, we pray with boldness that by your Holy Spirit you would open the eyes of our hearts this morning so that we would encounter Jesus, so that we would actually experience his presence by the Holy Spirit. And that that encounter, that that uh, spiritual sight that you would give us, that that would actually change us, that that would actually, as we behold his beauty and his goodness and his majesty, that we would be transformed like the face of Moses. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I discovered about a week, a few weeks ago, that there is an entire subculture of drivers on the road right now who call themselves hypermilers. You know who these folks are? Are you one of them? A (laughs) hypermiler? So according to Wikipedia, hypermiling is driving a vehicle with techniques that maximize fuel economy. Hypermiling. So hypermiling, I didn't know this, was the word of the year in 2008. And if you're new to the party and if you're interested in joining, 
You can dig a bit online and find out all kinds of various techniques to give yourselves a hypermyelin way. So this is it. Things like slowly accelerating. Things like coasting as much as possible. Okay, I'm sure you can come up with your own. But let me tell you, these techniques may improve your fuel efficiency, but they will not make you friends on the highway. They will not. Because hypermyeling basically means driving slow. That's all it means. I recently tried it, okay? I had one goal, fuel efficiency, okay? But it became clear right away when I was on the highway that every single car that I was sharing the road with had a very different goal than I had. Because their goal was time efficiency. And my goal at the time was fuel efficiency. So here I am. I'm sharing the same road, but with a very different goal. And if you're sort of a people pleaser like I am, this is a challenging thing to do. I can just feel the judgment and frustration. Not only can I see it in my rearview mirror, I can feel it like against my neck when there's a car behind me. It's frustrating because I'm coasting. (laughs) And so everything in me just wants to sort of forget the project, hit the gas, go with the flow. Well, this could be a parable of life as a Jesus follower, couldn't it? We share the same road as others, but because Jesus sets our agenda, we have a very different goal. Same road, different goal. And this creates an intense tension that I think we all feel. And many of us feel this tension. And we deal with this tension in different ways. So Canadian church leader Gordon Smith, he recently wrote this book. I really like it. It's called Wisdom from Babylon, Leadership for the Church in a Secular Age. And he's observed in this book three common responses to this tension. Same road, different goal. So the first would be what he would call the go-along-to-get-along response. This is when we just drive with the flow of traffic. It's too intense. When we don't want to make people upset. We don't want to feel upset when others don't agree with us. So we adapt our beliefs, we adapt our practices, or even abort them. The ones that create the most friction with our neighbors, with our colleagues. We go along to get along. There's another response that some of us approach when we feel this tension, what he calls the monastic response. Monastic or a monk is when we just pull off the highway, okay? We're driving on the same road with different goals. Why am I even driving on this highway? Why don't we just pull off? So we keep our convictions, but nobody would know it. Because we've not made any contact whatsoever with our neighbors. Or, of course, we could go on the offensive with the culture war approach. This is when we not only drive slow, but we kind of organize with other like-minded hypermilers, okay? And we sort of drive slow together. Have you ever been on the highway when, um, you know, the semi-trucks go on strike and they just drive really slow and they block all the lanes? Have you ever seen that before? Well, one way Christians are responding to this tension they feel in our cultural moment is by, like, reclaiming the highway, you know? And... I like how Joshua Old summarizes this approach. He says, quote, This option calls for war against secularism. 
and restoration of Christian values as national values. And so this approach, this third approach, is really a, a kind of war in order to sort of reclaim our Christian heritage. Now, that is suspicious by itself when you look at our history as a nation. And these are all common responses to detention. But should these be our responses to detention? Are these the path of Jesus? Well, in the book, Smith says no. And he, borrowing from others, suggests a different path. A path that he calls faithful presence. So Josh Old summarizes faithful presence this way. We live public and faithful lives devoted to Christ, working within it, but not developing its goal. I see this faithful presence approach in the letters of Peter. Just look how Peter addresses his readers in chapter 1, verse 1. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout. And so the church here is called two things, elect and exile. God's elect, they're called to be set apart. They're called to be holy. They have a different goal. They are faithful to Jesus. But as God's exiles scattered throughout, they've been called to live that faithful life in the presence of the nations. Now the church that Peter was addressing probably didn't have much of a vote in their exile. But notice Peter doesn't say, you know, forget it. No, he says, no, this is an opportunity. As God's elect, they're called to be set apart, but as God's exiles, they are called to live their faithfulness in the presence of others. This elect exile calling, this faithful presence calling is spelled out in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners, and there's that word, exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans, or that word ethne, the, the nations, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So this passage is really faithful presence in a nutshell. It's faithful to Jesus. We abstain from things. Jesus sets our agenda. We don't just go along to get along. Jesus sets our agenda, but we are present among the ethne, among the nations. And so, Hope, let me just ask, how are we doing as a church? How are we doing as individuals? Which of sort of these three are we tempted to sort of go into? What is our screensaver? If we don't hit the mouse, you know, what pops on? What's our default setting that we like to go to? And locating that, then ask this question. How could we lean into the better way? How could we lean more into this posture of faithful presence? Well, Peter would say there are two important prerequisites to this faithful presence. Like without a deep grasp of these two things, Peter might say, we will slide in to one of those three options. What are they? Well, two things that Peter seems so emphatic about. We have a different story and we have a different 
goal. And I want to look at both, starting with our story. So as God's elect exiles, we have a different story. So when God elects us, when he calls us to himself, he transplants us and puts us into his story. So we no longer take our cues from any counterfeit script, wherever it may be and however good it may be. We don't take our cues fundamentally from the world's counterfeit scripts, but we start to live in light of what's been called the true story of the world, the authentic story that God is writing. And so 1 Peter does that. 1 Peter shows us, he actually starts with a celebration of God's story of salvation. So if you're reading along in your Bibles, you can look at chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So he's beginning his whole letter with this unbelievable celebration of God's story. And then Peter makes sure that we appreciate what a privilege it is to be transplanted into this story. So that by verse 10 we see this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care. You know, the folks back here, long, long time ago when we started our journey through the Bible, what were they doing? Well, Peter continues, they were trying to find out the time and circumstance to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah. Probably talking about Isaiah, some of his predictions about the suffering of the suffering servant and the glories that would follow. And so they're searching intently. And it was revealed to them, verse 12, that they were not serving themselves, but you, you, friends, you sitting in the seat right now. They were serving you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then he finishes, even Angels long to look into these things. It is a privilege to be transplanted into this story. Don't you see it? And at this time. On my bucket list, many of you know this, of things to do is travel to Liverpool, England. Uh, I've watched so many Liverpool soccer matches uh, in, their famous sta- in their famous stadium called Anfield, if you want to know. Here's a visual. I can only imagine what it would feel like to go there. I can only imagine what it would feel like to hold my scarf high, to sing You'll Never Walk Alone, uh, to go crazy at the cop. That's like the sort of Nordak of, of, of Liverpool, the kind of supporter stands when we score a goal, to sing all the songs in the crowd, with the crowd that we sing in our living room as we're watching. <laughs> and so whenever I watch a match on TV and I see people leaving early, you know when this happens, right? Or people like yawning or they're on their phones while they're in the stadium. I just want to sit, like shout through the TV. And I want to be like, do you realize where you are and what you're doing? What an amazing privilege it is where you're standing. And this is essentially the spirit of, of what Peter is doing with us today. He's saying this new story, this new story that we are a part of, is bigger and better than you actually realize right now. The prophets of the Old Testament were serving you, not themselves. And angelic beings at this very moment, like right now, even as I preach and as we 
engage with God in prayer and listen and sort of roll over this in our minds, even at this very moment, they are sort of fighting to get a front row seat to witness our chapter in God's story. It's amazing. They can't wait to see what we will do with the gospel that we have heard. And as a side note, you know, I think this changes our entire posture towards this moment. Instead of one that is combative or even afraid, we can honestly, this is something Gordon Smith points out, we can just trust God's providence and say, you know what? We have been called to an amazing moment like this. And the angels are like eager to see what we do with it. You see, the only way I think that we will stay faithful in this cultural moment is if we realize just how different, yes, but how amazing our story is from the alternate stories of the world. This is why Peter's letters have some of the most majestic descriptions of our new story. If you have worshipped with us for a while, you know that we like to pull from Scripture when we do our worship services. So many of the things that we pull are from the letters of Peter. Why is that? Same thing. Peter wants us all to, he wants to remind us. He actually says in 2 Peter, I'm reminding you, you don't need reminded, but I'm reminding you. And that's basically ministry in a nutshell. We need each other to remind ourselves what we already know. And that's exactly what Peter's doing over and over and over again. He's basically wanting to refresh our awe. And he trusts that the Holy Spirit is going to refresh our awe. And so many of us, that's just ultimately what we need right now. I mean, more than anything else, we need our awe to be refreshed. And we recognize, some of us this morning, that that is a miracle of God, if that were to happen. And it is. But it's a miracle He loves to give. And so Peter just sort of riffs off of these amazing, majestic, awesome Realities of our new story. Our new story gives us freedom. You were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you. Our new story has given us access. As you come to Him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, you are now living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. The story again gives you purpose. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. God has called you into his presence. You are his possession. He doesn't tolerate you. He wants you. He has done everything necessary to pursue you in Jesus. And so if you're empty hands of faith or laying hold of Jesus this morning, then you can know that you have access to God. Unbelievably awesome access. You have Purpose, you have healing. By his wounds, you have been healed. You have hope. Always be prepared to give an answer. For the reason and the hope that you have. We also have a future. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Most um, actors and actresses turn their acting off when the cameras turn off. But there's a select few, I've been told, that don't. And they're called immersive acting. Immersive acting is when you never turn off. And so 
Jim Carrey famously did this on the set of Man on the Moon. Daniel Day-Lewis did this, I think for all of his roles, but he did it recently with Lincoln. And so after studying Lincoln for a very, very long time, this is what he said, and I'm quoting. He goes, without sounding unhinged, (laughs) I know I'm not Abraham Lincoln. I'm aware of that. But the truth is, he goes on, some part of me can allow myself to believe I am for a period of time without question. And that's the trick. Well, I think this is how we should approach the story of God. This is how we should approach the script that we have been given. This is our new story, except unlike Daniel Davis, okay, and unlike Carrie, we're not pretending to be something we are not. When we are invited into God's story, we are actually immersing ourselves into our true identity. And so what if we approach things like Bible study? What if we approach things like worship? What if we approach things like simple, simple baby steps of obedience to Jesus? Not as a sort of way to kind of earn God's love. What if we approach these things as an opportunity, even an invitation for immersion? To immerse ourselves into our true roles. To our true selves. And that would be Peter's heart for you all. The second, as God's exile elect, we have a different goal. Again, in verse 1, Peter calls the church God's elect. Now, what does it mean to be God's elect? Well, if you've been with us in this series, you know what it means to be God's elect. Elect. It means to be hand-selected for God's mission. It's not an accident that Peter quotes the most important election passage in the whole Bible. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You will not... Once a people, but now you are the people of God. This was spoken first to Israel. Once you haven't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter sort of takes this amazing promise and he makes sure that we all receive the same. If you're familiar with the Reformed Christian tradition, if that means anything to you, this is usually not how we talk about the word election, is it? When we bring up the word election, usually what comes to mind are matters related to free will. We get all philosophical. We ask philosophical questions about free will and determination and all these things. But that kind of misses the point of election in the Bible. The point of election is mission. God hand selects a group of broken, imperfect people, gives them mercy so that they would make God famous. In the presence of other people. Amen? Okay? That's it. God gives mercy to broken people so that they can make Him famous when they respond to His mercy in the presence of others. That's election. He rescues us, capital R, so that we would be rescuers, lowercase r. That's our mission. We experience salvation, capital S, so that we could become helpers. 
and, and in our brokenness, honestly, in our brokenness, proclaim His mercies. And in our weakness, you know, proclaim His power. What qualifies you? What qualifies you to take part in His mission? Acknowledging His mercy. That's what qualifies you. It's an amazing summons. If you've been elected by God, you've experienced a total goal shift. Your goal, your mission in life is different. And Peter signals this goal shift with two words. Therefore, and another word we'll get to. So the first word is therefore. Uh, this is like a seemingly insignificant word, uh, but it's all over Peter's letters. After Peter reminds us of our amazing story, he t- tends to say, therefore. So if you look at verse 12 of chapter 1, once again, he says, even angels long to look into these things. Remember? Therefore, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you were living in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Same thing in chapter 2, verse 1. You've been born again. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice. Same thing in chapter 4, verse 1. Since Christ suffered in his body, therefore, arm yourself with the same attitude. 2 Peter 1.10, speaking of Christians, they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, make every effort to confirm your calling. And then after reminding uh, his, his readers of the new heavens and the new earth, where God will make all things new, not brand new, as Michael Williams puts it, renewed. When he renews all that has been broken by sin, and he reminds him of this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, what's he said? Any guesses? Therefore, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. And be diligent to be found at peace. Friends, our faith is a therefore faith. It's a therefore faith. What we enact is always out of a response of what God has already done. We never enact our faith so as to receive salvation. We always enact our faith because we are recipients of it. We are God's special possession. Therefore, you are beloved son and daughter of God. Therefore, 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 okay? We're not just saved negatively from something. We're saved positively. We have a new goal in life. We have a therefore. The other way Peter signals our goal in life is with this Greek word, anastrepho. This word comes up all over. I, I, I studied and I found this out. It comes up all over again, commentators point out, in Peter. It means way of life or all that you do. Anastrepho means all that you do or your way of life. So that we see, just as a few examples, chapter 1, verse 15. But just as he called you as holy, so be holy in all that you do. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed in the empty way of life. There's that word, of life. Chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the nations that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. And in chapter 3, of 1 Peter. Peter urges believers in every station of life in the Greco-Roman Empire. Wives, husbands, Greco-Roman slaves. 
to consider their way of life so as to commend the gospel to their neighbors. So chapter 3, verse 16, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good way of life in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So scholar N.T. Wright calls Peter's way of life commands, these way of life commands, a what he calls a creative radicalism. A creative radicalism. In view of their new freedom in Christ, radical, believers must live in such a way that would not burn bridges with their neighbors, creative. It's what happens when you take seriously the call to be different and yet still have meaningful contact with those you're living with in exile. And so Peter doesn't tell the church to sort of run for the hills and create an alternate society with no meaningful contact, but neither does he say, church, just blindly do the Greco-Roman way. It's a creative radicalism. And this will, according to Peter, silence ignorant talk, chapter 3. Show cultural awareness. Produce surprise, verse 8 of chapter 3, verse 4 of chapter 4. Will provoke questions. Chapter 3, verse 15. Actually, let's take a closer look at this one. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So this, this address, this command really, assumes, assumes that your way of life is one that will provoke questions. As Michael Frost puts it, is your way of life questionable? Is it questionable? Or is it so familiar and so similar that nobody would even ask you? Like, what gives? Like, what, what gives? What, what about that hope in you? Or I've noticed that you do this a little bit differently. Why are there folks in your living room all the time? Why are you making this decision? I don't, like, what gives? Like, these kinds of questions will never happen if our lives are so in step. But these questions will never happen if our lives are not rubbing shoulders with our neighbors either, will they? Because nobody was there to ask the question. Is your life questioned? It's a good question from Frost. I think if your neighbors and colleagues, and I'm asking myself too, are not asking questions, like initiating questions to us. We think of evangelism almost always as us initiating questions with others. But here we have an interesting picture of, of a neighbor just saying, come on, like what, what, what is about you? Like, what is about you? And, and you have an opportunity then to share about Jesus. So if our neighbors and colleagues and friends aren't asking questions, could it be because we're not on mission? Might it mean that we're not different enough to provoke questions? We're not living life close enough or with gentleness and respect enough that people don't even want to bother. And notice too that Peter doesn't say, give an answer to everyone who thinks you're a jerk. No, your goal in life is fundamentally attractive. The hope that is within you. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope is within you. As Jeremiah puts it, righteousness is beautiful. Self-righteousness is ugly. And this is our goal. 
we are unwaveringly faithful to King Jesus, okay? But we are also in contact with others, with the hope that is within us. This is the way of Peter. This is the way of Jesus. It's faithful presence, friends. And so, Lord, as we consider what this mission, this goal in our life would be, I ask, Lord, that you would remind us once again, none of this is to resolve the anxieties that we have inside of us about whether we are right with you or not. None of this is for that because we are right in Jesus. This mission is an opportunity. This, this call of faithful presence is, is going to be difficult for us, Lord, to tease out in the details. But would we, by your word, be faithful to you and yet present with others? And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Thanks for listening in. For more resources like this and to learn more about hope, please visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.